from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, May 26th. Happy belated Memorial Day to everybody out there. Hopefully you had a safe weekend. Jam-packed hour because of that holiday weekend. Lots to cover, including the Seahawks and running back Carlos Hyde reportedly reaching a one-year agreement. What are the details of that? That's what it spells for the backfield, the recoveries of Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Seahawks offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer also on the Pick 6 podcast over the weekend talking about the offense, including, speaking of running backs, DJ Dallas, a brand new addition to this team, but also why Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are such a good combo and giving us a glimpse into Russ the competitor and how Russ will carry a grudge, how he can carry one. And it helps with his competitive spirits. We'll discuss that. Plus, the match over the weekend, the best moments from that. Tom Brady, it's good to know he's not the best at everything, I think, maybe. But having some very relatable human moments also in the match, pretty cool. And the latest on all of the professional sports plans to return. We've got it in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Seattle Seahawks and running back Carlos Hyde reportedly reached a one-year deal. According to Adam Schefter, tweeted that out on Friday as we're all headed into that holiday weekend. Over the past three seasons, Carlos Hyde has played for a number of teams, including the Niners, the Browns, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Houston Texans. But spending last year with the Texans, where he scored six touchdowns and ran for a career best, just over 1,000 yards, 1,070 on 245 carries for Houston last season. He played in all 16 games for the second time in his career. But a lot of changes happening in Houston, as we know. He and uh, fellow running back Lamar Miller, both on that roster last season, both hit free agency. And the Texans went on to acquire David Johnson from the Cardinals in a trade that nobody understands except, you know, the Cardinals fans. A blockbuster trade for wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. So now that they've got another running back on their roster, that means Carlos Hyde hitting free agency and now agreeing to a deal reportedly with the Seahawks. Hyde will turn 30 in September, and we know the Seahawks have been uh, looking for some depth since the start of free agency and possibly a veteran presence to add Uh, and reinforce their backfields along with Chris Carson and then Rashad Penny, who are both coming off season-ending injuries. Uh, The Seahawks reportedly had offered Devonta Freeman a one-year deal, according to an ESPN report that we heard earlier in that week. Adam Kaplan joined joined 710 last week to talk about the Seahawks wanting a running back with starting experience. Experience behind Chris Carson. They're looking for someone who started before, and that's why Devontae Freeman makes a lot of sense. But the one thing about Freeman we should talk about, we need to mention, this guy's had significant injury issues over the last three seasons. And that's why Atlanta moved on from him. You know, He signed a lucrative extension three years ago, but uh, he just did not be able to stay healthy. What he does offer, though, not only insurance behind Carson, but he does catch the ball better than Carlos Hyde, who's another guy that uh, is on the radar. 
And now, of course, uh, coming to reportedly Seattle. So that was Kaplan talking about the rumors about Devonta Freeman. But the Seahawks still unsure about Rashad Penny and his recovery, recovering from surgery he had to repair a torn ACL and some other damage in his knee that he suffered in December. Seahawks believe there's a strong possibility he'll have to start the season on the PUP list. And Pete Carroll mentioning that back in late February. All reports talking to him, he, he feels good. He's, he's ahead of schedule, as we always tell you. Uh, he is. Uh, he's working with our guys down in L.A. that we, we feel very strongly about that process. Uh, he's down there with Disley working out. And um, he's really optimistic about roaring back. So uh, he's an incredibly fit guy. So we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see if that can all work out for us in, in quick fashion. Optimism, yes, sharing that along with Pete. But this was Pete's mentioning uh, the likelihood of Penny starting the year on PUP and then thus missing at least the first six. Um, it, it'll be an extraordinary accomplishment if he was ready by the time we, you know, we got to camp and all that. So we'll just see what happens. You know, we're not going to set any deadline on it. We'll just see how he develops. But this is the kind of timing that might take you into the PUP thing. Meanwhile, Chris Carson, recovering from a hip injury, expected to be ready to go by week one. Chris is doing really well. There's not a whole lot Chris can do, so he hasn't done very many things wrong. So uh, it's an injury that just it takes time. And uh, it's, it's not really – it's serious because it's a hip, but it's not serious in that we know what's going to happen. It's not displaced or any of that kind of stuff. We just need to wait it out, and, uh, which is really hard for Chris because he's a workout maniac and, and loves to be on, you know, in the weight room and all that. He's doing the best he can, and he's done everything he can possibly do, and, and we're just hoping he doesn't overdo it, so we're trying to monitor that. But uh, we're counting on a full recovery. He should be ready to go. Behind Chris Carson, uh, Carlos Hyde, and Rashad Penny, the Seahawks have a second-year pro, Travis Homer, on the roster, and now three rookies, including fourth-round pick DJ Dallas. How about Marshawn Lynch and a possible reunion there? He told ESPN Scott Van Pelt was on SportsCenter earlier this month saying that his agent had been in talks with the Seahawks about a potential return to Seattle, uh, but still that up in the air at this time. And now they add some depth and some veteran experience with Carlos Hyde. I think seeing those one-year deals uh, is probably going to be a common theme this year, not knowing what will happen to the salary cap next year if it could be lowered. And the Seahawks probably not wanting to get locked in longer-term deals at this point. Speaking of the Seahawks offense, coordinator Brian Schottenheimer was on the Pick 6 podcast with Will Brinson over the weekend to talk about this offense, including how they're coping with working through virtual offseason and Shotty mentioning that the Seahawks having a tenured staff, well, that's an advantage for them in this time. Quite often I've gotten off these Zoom calls and I've thought, wow, to be a new staff, it would certainly be yeah. a bit different. You've never met some of these guys you're trying to implement a new system, a new culture in a lot of cases, and you're doing it like we are here. You're talking and uh, you're face-to-face, but you're really not face-to-face. And so um, certainly having a guy like Russ be back, uh, me going into year three, uh, obviously with Pete leading the charge, uh, I think teams like us, um, at least during this period, have a chance to maybe get more done than, than the new staffs that are trying to get uh, those things uh, put into place. Speaking about the offense specifically, Shadi also on using the speed of the wide receivers to their advantage. Obviously, Tyler's extremely fast. You add a guy like Philip Dorsett, um, that helps. And then again, you mentioned the play action. You know, we're always uh, always looking for ways to manipulate the defense with play fakes. Again, Russ has got huge hands and can really you know do a great job in the ball handling aspect. So uh, you're on to something. We love the we love the speed aspect, and then we love using our guys. 
um, off of play action, trying to get them back in behind the second level of the defense. Shadi, also with some thoughts on Russ and Pete Carroll, but why first? Let's get to why that combo, why they work so well together. When you partner him with a guy like Russ, who has the ab- absolutely the most inner calm or most positive attitude, no matter what the situation of the game is. If we're down 30 with five minutes to go, whether we're tied with two minutes to go in a game, there's nobody that I've ever been around that, that believes, believes, regardless of the situation, we will find a way to win. So I think those two guys together, what they've done over time, um, they can draw to it. And people, I know guys in the huddle or guys in the locker room, regardless of what the situation is, when those two guys talk, they believe it because they've put it on film and they've done it. Seahawks fans know, yes, two of the most positive people, optimistic people, upbeat people that you'll ever hear from. But Shadi did mention that Russell Wilson will carry a grudge from uh, time and again. I think it, unless you truly love the Seahawks and you watch the Seahawks, I think what he does just comes so naturally and easy that people underestimate him. And I know one thing, I am thrilled and excited about 2020 because I think the chatter about the MVP votes hmm. but motivate him. Uh, he, will, uh, he, he is ready to work. He's always ready to work. But he's the wrong guy to doubt, man. He is the wrong guy to say, nah, he can't do that because he, uh, he will carry a grudge and he will work his ass off to make it go. Shoddy a little bit more on that as well. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a chip on his shoulder from when from where he was drafted and what he's done and and I think it's a beautiful thing and it's a beautiful thing to watch that motivate him. But you're right. People see the persona and they hear him talking about his faith and he's a great dude. But boy, inside that uh inside that chest and that and uh, his rib cage, man, that heart is beating fierce, brother. <laughs> I like to hear that. Competitive Russ. Russ occasionally holding a grudge. Up next on The Blitz, we've got the latest on the return of all potential sports leagues, including NHL's plan uh, to come back in two cities and their plan for the Stanley Cup playoffs, as well as Major League Baseball. And this week being particularly important in their plans to return. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, May 26th. Thanks for hanging out with me this morning. Again, hoping you had a safe, fun, healthy weekend, Memorial Day weekend. And getting back to work today, since we have... Feels like we've had a few days off. Just wanted to recap where all of the different sports leagues are, where they currently sit on their plans for returning to play. Let's start with baseball since they are uh, the the season probably with the most depending on it in terms of will they have a 2020 season at all. Um, That really depends on what happens this week in negotiations between MLB and Major League Baseball Players Association. Buster, only on where we are at with the MLB returning. There is cautious optimism among the moderates that I speak to. They feel like that there's become a recognition on both sides. Look, we have to get a deal because the idea of not having baseball in 2020 and essentially being off the radar for 17, 18 months is unthinkable. And here's the other reason why, that you know, through the statements we've seen from the union, from Tony Clark, uh, you know, what Scott Boris has been saying, Blake Snell, 
through the owners leaking information that seemingly you know puts pressure on the players, I think it's created this narrative that would be really destructive for baseball if they don't play, and that is, well, you know what? These millionaires and billionaires couldn't figure it out, so they just uh, bypassed the season. That Baseball can't let that happen. Of course, players uh, needing to figure out the salaries, that is a huge point of contention, the financials for that. The players wanting the prorated version of their salaries, even in a shortened season, an 81-game season, as was proposed by the owners just a few weeks ago. Uh, Jeff Passan on player salaries having to be figured out before the deal gets done because owners still wanting them to take further pay cuts past that. If they want to start it on time, which is middle of June or so, they need to get a deal done that covers the economics and figures out how to split up the billions of dollars that are going to be coming in in revenue. Now, the players want their prorated share. Depending on the number of games that they play, they want to get paid what they would have over 162 game season except prorated. The owners say, no, 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 no. That's not financially feasible for us. And so the proposal that's going to be coming and is expected tomorrow from the owners is going to cover that, and we're really going to see if they can come to some kind of a compromise and strike a deal. Jeff Passan on the trust missing, though, is a big part of this between both parties and the Players Association not trusting the owners. It's really deep and deep-seated in the Major League Baseball Players Association. Going back to the beginning of its evolution to where it is right now, that they just don't trust owners. And right now, they feel like owners are trying to execute a money grab to use the coronavirus pandemic to take cash back that they believe they're going to earn playing games. So you have to get over this notion that the two parties are enemies, and they have to understand that in order for there to be baseball this year, they need to work together and really find a compromise. Buster only, uh, though, saying at least hopeful, hopeful wise players will, will work with the safety protocols if money is right. We saw the original draft of that 67 pages worth of health and safety protocols that would be implemented and some players probably objecting to some of that just how strenuous it is and how many hoops they have to jump through. But Buster saying that players will work with safety protocols if the money is right. I think that if, in fact, uh, that they're able to work out the money, I think they'll, the players will work through the protocol. You know, that uh, things like not showering at the ballpark. I read some person say that it was like the old American Legion baseball where you showed up in your uniform <laughs> in your car and then you got back in your car afterward and went home. It might be a lot like that. There might have to be some adjustments, but I think everyone's going to recognize, look, these are things that we're going to have to try to do uh, if we're going to have baseball this year. How about the NBA? Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski saying they are moving forward with their plan to resume the season in Florida. Everything is pointing toward a return of the NBA this season at a single site in Orlando at Disney World. And uh, teams expect the league to tell them to start recalling their players as soon as next week. And there'll be a two-week quarantine back in markets. But the league has started to not only put the plans in place for a return in terms of testing and safety health-wise, but really digging this week into what that format is going to look like. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA Insider, also on the plan for NBA resumption being done, 
uh, should be done in his mind by the end of this week. We have basically a deadline for Friday when the Board of Governors, the owners meeting is going to be taking place and they want to have things finalized. So right now behind the scenes, we are seeing a lot of horse trading, haggling and discussion about what they're going to be able to present to them and what they're going to put forward to the teams and the union to put together. The more people I talk to, while everybody recognizes that 30 teams is still on the table, most people I talk to do not think it's going to be all 30 teams. Most people think it's either going to be playoffs only or some sort of playoffs plus model where there's a play-in. And there may even be, uh, there's going to be some discussion about seeding the teams 1 through 16 since there's no travel issues here. Uh, how this all you know, gets sorted out is going to be a lot of discussion between now and Friday. But we are on traction to get something of a plan by the end of the week. What are the possible uh, playoff formats that they're discussing? You heard it mentioned by Woj there. Uh, well, and not all teams may return. Brian Windhurst on the possible NBA playoff formats. What does look like a possibility is something with the 16 teams in playoff position plus. What does that plus mean? Does that plus mean a play-in tournament for the teams on the bubble? The problem is the bubble looks different in the West than it does in the East. Does it mean some sort of round robin? That's something that's been mentioned to me as a possibility where all the teams would play a round robin and then you'd advance sort of like you see in the Olympics. Or would this just be a flat cut to 16 teams? And if you didn't make it on your first 65 games, we apologize and wish you the best of luck. The other thing is what happens to those 16 teams? One of the things that could be under discussion is would they seed them 1 through 16? This is something Adam Silver has talked about for years, but hasn't been able to get through because of travel. Well, now travel isn't an issue. But the recalls of players back to their home or uh, home cities will be happening soon. There'll be a quarantine period when the NBA players do return at least two weeks and then a training camp of sorts. So we know it isn't on the immediate horizon, but a lot of positive steps happening in both baseball and basketball there. But this week being crucial in both of those sports uh, by that Friday deadline baseball, if they want to start on their proposed deadline with a June, basically spring training startup and then a July actual season start date. And then for the NBA too, because you have to start considering how this will impact their 2020 season. So up next on the Blitz, we'll take a look at how uh, a couple other leagues might be impacted, including the NCAA, which uh, is just a whole different beast to itself, as well as football and their planning for everything, uh, being able to play a regular season. Plus more on the Carlos Hyde edition for the Seahawks over the weekend. It's next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, May 26th. Carlos Hyde reportedly agreeing to a one-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks over the weekend. That news breaking on the Friday before the holiday weekend. Uh, just in time for us to cover a little bit here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And on Bob, Dave, and more, they were able to get John McClain on the phone. He has covered the NFL and the Texans in particular for over 40 years, works for the Houston Chronicle or can has covered them in the Houston Chronicle, but is also a voice on local radio there. 
Now, according to the deal, Ian Rappaport tweeting out that Hyde could earn up to $4 million for the deal. Of course, that would be contingent on him completing a lot of incentives. But Bob David Moore asking McLean uh, if if this seems right to him. Here to tell us about Carlos Hyde, John McLean from the Houston Chronicle is with us on the hotline. John, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? We're good. You know, we, we had been talking for a few days about the backup uh, running back spot for the Seahawks team. There was no secret that they were looking for a veteran. Uh, Devontae Freeman is a the guy they made an offer to. Marshawn Lynch had been uh, here last year and was mentioned as a possibility. And Carlos Hyde was the one I think we all kind of settled on, but thinking he might come here at a veteran minimum. Now it sounds like he got substantially more and is in line to make a lot more as a backup running back. First of all, just the uh, without knowing all of the particulars of the deal, are you surprised at the dollar amount that he could make as a backup? What is that? Three million? Is that he could make up call? make up to four million. Yeah, well, he'll have to be starting and hit every possible incentive to make that. But how often do you get a thousand yards back to be a backup at this weight? And the way Carlos ended up in Houston and having his best season, you know, he bounced around the NFL like a pinball. And the Texans weren't looking for a running back until the starter, Lamar Miller, suffered a torn ACL in the last preseason game. They had traded for Duke Johnson, a real good receiver with Cleveland. So they had him in the backup role. They didn't want him to be a starter. And all of a sudden, they needed a starter. So they had a guard, Martinez Rankin. They traded him to the Chiefs for Hyde. And I didn't think much about it at the time. Carlos hadn't had a good year since 2016. And he just fit Bill O'Brien's offense. He fit in their running game, which has been eight to ninth the last two years. And he was for career high, 1,070 yards, had six touchdowns. That tied the second most of his career. And at one point in his career, he was a really good receiver. They didn't need him to do that last year. They had a lot of receivers, including Duke Johnson. I think if Carlos had been a full-time back, he might have gained 12 or 1,300 yards. But he spent a lot of time getting breeders while they played Duke Johnson in passing situations. They tried to sign him to a new deal. They offered him at the combine two years, $10 million. Same deal Mark Ingram got from Baltimore. He turned it down. And so they moved on. Bill O'Brien has always been enamored of David Johnson of Arizona. And when they worked on the deal for DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona, O'Brien insisted David Johnson be included because he thinks he can turn around Johnson's career like he did high. And Carlos is a good guy. He's a good interview, always cooperative, worked hard, had some long runs, averaged 4.4 yards of carry. I think that's his most since 2015 or 16. So Keith Carroll's got to be really happy with this deal. John Schneider, of course, to get a guy like him to, to come in in a backup role. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that that uh, that Bill O'Brien was enamored with David Johnson. That's uh, that's good. It tells the the story why they didn't bring Carlos Hyde back. But what kind of a teammate uh, was he? What kind of a guy? I mean, if everything goes right here in Seattle, Chris Carson's healthy and he's going to be a, a backup. Is he is he the kind of kind of guy that can can handle that? Well, nobody knows more about injured backs than the Seahawks that had the misfortune of dealing with. Hyde's been a starter. He's been a backup. He's only had 1,000 yards receiving, 1,000 yard season. He's going to be 30 in September. Carl's is not going to make any waves. He'll play whatever role he's brought in to play. And you hope ideally Carson stays healthy and Hyde doesn't play much. But 
you know, there's a good chance he will. The way the Seahawks like to run the ball, he'll fit right in. Just a terrific addition, especially this time of the offseason. Well, and John, I was going to ask you about his running style. It seems like he runs really hard, and, and you already said that he fits the Seahawks' style, but uh, maybe he's got some similarities to Chris Carson, the violent running style with Carlos Hyde, too. Carlos runs between the tackles. He can bounce outside. He had several long runs last year. He's really tough. He breaks some tackles. He can get yak, and uh, he's not going to rock the boat. Now, if you need him to catch the ball, he hadn't done it in a while, but at one point with the 49ers, he had 57 catches. With the Texans, he didn't catch a call, but that wasn't his fault. They just didn't throw in the ball because Deshaun Watson <laughs> had too many other options. So I don't know. I didn't see him in that role last year. But uh, when it comes to running, he is a north-south runner. John McLean of the Houston Chronicle and uh, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. You can hear his full interview available online at 710sports.com. He was on the Bob David Moore Show, so just click on that podcast tab. It is right there for you. More on Carlos Hyde here in a minute. But first, we've been going through the major sports leagues and the latest on all of the plans for a possible return. Uh, We discussed Major League Baseball and the NBA. Well, the NHL, uh, a pretty big thing happened on Friday, according to Emily Kaplan, ESPN and NHL reporter. On Friday, the NHLPA's executive committee voted to approve the format that we would see. It's 24 teams, and that includes some bubble teams like the Chicago Blackhawks, the Montreal Canadiens, both of which were sellers at the trade deadline. And the four top teams in this format are going to get buys. Now, the NHL still hasn't told players when they would have to return back. 17% of players are currently outside North America. But the NHL has decided where they will go. Well, kind of. Uh, Unlike the NBA, they do think they're probably going to go to Vegas. They're going to do two or four hub cities. They've narrowed the list down to eight or nine. Like I said, Vegas is a favorite. And ideally, the NHL will also pick a Canadian city for a lot of reasons, one of which it's just cheaper to put on games there. So that's the latest from the NHL. They look like they're moving ahead. Uh, How about college football, which is in a very unique position? The NCAA has come out and said that they will not create a universal start date. They're going to leave that up to individual schools and uh, conference commissioners right now because every state is different. But that also creates a conundrum in terms of uh, competitive imbalance if certain leagues return Before others do, Laura Rutledge on with Golick and Wingo uh, does an amazing job covering college football for ESPN, talking about uh, an interesting scenario if not all teams return or return at the same time. What I think is interesting is if you're at a school that decides not to play, let's say it's, you know, I don't know, I'm I don't even want to name a school because I don't want to get somebody saying that I'm saying they're not going to play. But Let's say you're at that school and then you're saying, well, I want to play and I'm a guy that. You know, I'm trying to get drafted. I'm a senior. I don't have another chance. Maybe I don't want to redshirt. Maybe I want to play right now. Well, then what happens with transferring potentially in the transfer portal? And I have thrown this at many decision makers at the college football uh, level and high level decision makers. And everyone's like, oh, man, that would be crazy. But it's being discussed. And so I think it's something that will come to the forefront if you don't see all of these schools be able to, to start and be able to play at least somewhere around the same time. Uh, and, and that's what really gets interesting. I mean, do you see some sort of like mass exodus from some school or from some conference that, you know, just at least allows these guys opportunity to play. 
And the transfer portal potentially working overtime on that one, as Rutledge points out. Heather Dinich also on commissioners not having control over the return of players. This is not even in their hands, really. This is all localized decisions, and it's based a lot on university presidents opening their doors to student-athletes and local government officials and health medical experts So I think that we're still going to have to have a wait-and-see approach because there's no timetable for the return of college football as of yet. But I do think that seeing some of these student-athletes come back in the month of June certainly sparks some of that optimism. Speaking of that optimism, up next on The Blitz, we'll discuss a couple of Major League Baseball teams opening up their facilities for limited workouts, including where the Mariners are at on that. It's next in the hot list. Plus, you don't want to miss the Charles Barkley, Tom Brady recap, a friendly trash talk for the match. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Tampa Bay Rays opened Tropicana Field to limited workouts beginning yesterday, and 14 players took part in that. They were allowed to play catch, take part in conditioning exercises, and uh, work out in a makeshift weight room on the field, according to their manager, Kevin Cash. Uh, Players in attendance included outfielder Austin Meadows and shortstop Willie Adamas and center fielder Manuel Margot, among others. Cash said the team will continue to take baby steps in terms of building a routine and uh, how they build their workouts here in this new era of social distancing. He also mentioned that everyone taking part, including players and staff, had their temperatures taken and were asked medical questions before being approved to even enter the facility. Elsewhere in the AL West, things also progressing. The Houston Astros announced they would allow players access to Minute Maid Park in their spring training facility in West Palm Beach. Beginning this week, the Angels also announced uh, Monday, yesterday, that Angel Stadium and the Angel Spring Training Complex, Tempe Diablo Stadium, are open to all 40-man roster players and a limited number of staff members. Meanwhile, the Mariners Spring Training Complex in Peoria will reopen to a limited number of players and staff. Uh, according to Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times, saying that GM Jerry DePoto confirmed via text that the Mariners are working through uh, the final prep needed to open the complex for uh, workouts, whether that's individual or small groups beginning either yesterday or today. Arizona uh, was among the first, maybe, no, was the first, along with Florida, to reopen their states to the possibility of sports returning when their governors announced May 16th as that date when pro sports could return while observing social distancing practices. As of now, Mariners players not been instructed to return to uh, Arizona, according to Divish. Any workouts would be voluntary and closely monitored to maintain those health and safety protocols, as we mentioned. Jerry DePoto on recently with 710 ESPN Seattle, talking about players dealing with everything as best they possibly could at this point. We're, we're dealing with the, the adversity everybody else is dealing with as best we can. And I know our players are chomping at the bit to come back and play, uh, particularly seems to be getting a little bit uh, itchy of late. And I think it's because they see things pointed in the right direction. And and despite what I think is very clear and consistent communication using all the different 
virtual networks we have access to. They, they want the human touch. They want to get out there and play the game and, and, and stop working on that small, I guess, the small detail to keep themselves as sharp as they can while they're shut in. Jerry DePoto on the thought, general thought about the shorter season and less money. Of course, things are contentious still at this point in the discussions between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. And this week will be a huge uh, time deadline-wise if they do plan to have their, have their plan play out with the beginning of spring training 2.0 in June and then the regular season starting in July. My, my general thought is, you know, just go play. It, we're... It's, at the end of the day, the, we we're very fortunate to do what we do, and you know whatever our job is, professional sports, and uh, in this in this moment in time, and I guess in any moment, my my urge is like as we develop culture and as we develop character with our club, uh, we understand that there's a big world around you, and there are a lot of people suffering. Don't whine, just go play. Jeff Passan speaking to this disagreement or this sticking point between players and the league and owners, excuse me, Jeff Passan on saying that the two parties still have a lot of work to do to strike a deal. If MLB wants this to go anywhere, they are going to have to take a different tack this time around and really convince a very jaded players association that there is some kind of financial agreement to be struck beyond the one that the players believe happened in March that entitled them to a prorated share of every game that they play. Jeff Passan on the start date that was proposed by the owners originally, which was uh, with an early July start date, a June, early June ramping up spring training start date. Is that still at this point realistic? If things work out this week, and if there is progress made on a plan to get back onto the field and the economics get worked out, it is a possibility. But the clock right now is ticking. And I think parties on both sides recognize that. And that's why they're looking at this week as such a fundamental part of this process. They understand that every day that is delayed is a day that they may not be playing baseball going forward. So while everybody is hoping to get something done by the end of May, in order to do that, this week they have to lay the groundwork in the foundation to come up with a reasonable, equitable, and mutually agreeable split of the money that's going to be coming in in 2020. They need to figure out something that's going to work for both sides. Jeff Passan, though, also shifting focus to the health and safety protocols, the logistical aspects of this, still a huge part of it, um, and getting players to agree to all the health and safety protocols, uh, but did mention that health experts, CDC experts, are lauding MLB for the approach they're taking. They're pretty onerous, honestly, and health experts around the country have really lauded baseball for taking uh, a very strong stance in social distancing and in testing and in all of the other things that theoretically are going to keep the players, coaches, managers, and other essential personnel around the game safe. Meanwhile, uh, in the NBA, the latest on their plans to return uh, with a central city 
And that would be Orlando. Brian Windhorse explaining. They are going to go to Orlando. That has been locked in, and that is what they're working towards. But they do not know how the structure is going okay. to look. They're looking at several different ideas. The idea that they would have 30 teams all coming together. The idea that it would be some sort of hybrid of playoff teams and non-playoff teams, where those uh, teams on the outside could play their way in. And the idea that it would just be 16 teams only playoffs going to Orlando. Now, in talking to people around the league, Las Vegas was still in the running for this just a couple of days ago. They eliminated that, and there's a concern about logistics, about whether you could get all 30 teams and all of their needs in there. So I don't know if I would wager on it being a 30-team operation at this point, but these are going to be worked out over the next five days. Yep, this week that there should be a plan by Friday for resumption, NBA resumption, but you could probably expect that not all teams would return. That echoed by Adrian Wojnarowski as well. Uh, as for football, things still proceeding, and that is if a regular season will happen, although the possibility of fans looking less and less likely. But Jeremy Fowler of ESPN saying that teams are optimistic that training camp will happen as planned. For the people I talk to, there is you know, some level of optimism uh, that training camps will be held around the country in some form at some date, right? It could be a truncated version, or uh, but I think... Um, there is a, a, a good feeling that uh, that they can get on the field. They just don't know exactly how that's going to shake out because the league right now, their focus is let's get uh, coaches in the building and team facilities, and then we'll get some players in the building. Not all. They'll probably do it all in groups and phases. Um, but you know, right now, I think everybody that I talk to believes that OTAs and minicamp and all those things in June will be done virtually, and then you just hope for the best for camp and start whenever you can. Um. But as of now, things proceeding as planned. If you caught it over the weekend, you know, we were missing the last dance on Sunday nights. And now some new 30s for 30s premiering and Lance Armstrong's debuting on Sunday. Uh, I did not catch it. It's DVR'd, so I'll make sure to check it out. But it didn't interest me quite as much, I'll admit, as, as Jordan and the last dance. But Lance being pretty candid on this one uh, and admitting when he started doping. The first time you ever doped, how old were you? Wow, straight into that. Uh, (laughs) Probably 21. I educated myself on what was being given, and I chose to do it. I believe it's a two-part series, so the next, uh, coming next weekend. Also over the weekend, I watched, and I know many other people did because the figures were uh, through the roof. It was the match, Champions for Charity at Medalist Golf Club. And four icons, uh, you could probably just call them one-name icons, I think, um, taking part in a charity relief golf match originally planned as the sequel to The Match, the the Tiger and Phil match. And a sequel had long been in the works since 2018, since that original matchup, which disappointed a lot of people. This one, much more exciting, in my opinion, because you added two NFL players to the mix, uh, both Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, joining uh, Phil and Tiger and helping to raise $20 million for COVID-19 relief efforts, while also just having bringing some life back to golf, right? Some uh, personality, not insulting golf at all, but you don't really get that aspect of hearing players uh, as they talk, as they play, or just getting some of the trash talk that happened. Justin Thomas adding his share as a as a reporter on the side, but maybe Charles Barkley, uh, Mickelson also trash talking as well. I think my favorite moment though was uh, was when Tom 
Brady. He holed out from the fairway to get a birdie on a par five. After not having the best day, let's just say, it's good to know that Tom isn't just excellent at everything, but uh, but this happening. Oh, 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 my goodness! Oh, you made it! <laughs> wow! Oh, Take a second Are you me? <laughs> wow! Hey, hey, yeah. hey, 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 man, Check. I got that's Check. awesome. Uh, shut your mouth, oh, Chad. <laughs> Take a little of that medicine. Get your butt out of here. Hey, wow. That's what I needed. Hey. Back in the hole. hey, way to get a hundred thousand for Brooks Kepka. What a Thanks, baby. Brooks, take wow. Brooks, how about that? Uh, I see. I love that. That was maybe my my favorite parts of the afternoon. Also, over the weekend, we heard the news that the Seahawks agreed to a one year deal with a veteran running back Carlos Hyde. He will turn. 30 later this year, but according to Adam Schefter, this tweet popping out on Friday, and then according to Ian Rappaport, the deal worth up to $4 million uh, with all the incentives. Over the past three seasons, Hyde's played for several teams, including the Niners, the Browns, the Jaguars, and the Houston Texans. Last year, he scored six touchdowns and ran for a career best, just over 1,000 yards, 1,070 for the Houston Texans, and played in all 16 games for the second time in his career. We know that Rashad Penny and Chris Carson are still working back from season-ending injuries, and the diagnosis or the timeline for Rashad Penny is a little more grim than it is for Chris Carson. Pete Carroll admitting that uh, Rashad Penny will likely start the year on the PUP list. Um, it, it'll be an extraordinary accomplishment if he was ready by the time we, you know, we got to camp and all that. So we'll just see what happens. You know, We're not going to set any deadline on it. We'll just see how he develops. But this is the kind of timing that might take you into the PUP thing. And Chris Carson expects to be ready by week one, but now they add some veteran depth behind a pretty young running back room because uh, aside from Carson and Penny, Seahawks have second-year pro Travis Homer and then three rookies, including fourth-round pick DJ Dallas. So Carlos Hyde adding to that mix. And these one-year deals probably pretty favorable when you don't know what will happen with the salary cap next year. If it could go down, don't want to get locked in uh, to some longer-term deals with that uncertainty still hanging in the air. That's a wrap for the Hot List in the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.